0: You're listening to the Global Vision Bible Church podcast, where broken people find new meaning to life. You're about to hear a message straight from God's Word because at Global Vision, we believe in three things biblical preaching, radical compassion, and extravagant generosity. Hey, at the end of this episode, I'd like to ask you to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel because we believe God's Word still challenges perspectives, encourages hearts, and changes lives. Now, let's head under the tent in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, for this week's message from Pastor Greg Locke.
1: Hallelujah. Beautiful. You may be seated all over the house. I want to invite you in God's Word to the Gospel of Mark and the fifth chapter, Mark chapter 5. For just a little while in our preaching and teaching time, the Gospel of Mark and the fifth chapter Thank you so much for for being here. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you for such a good spirit. Amen. What the Lord's doing in this place, moving in our midst. I want to get right in. I got a lot of things on my heart that I want to share with you that I just was thinking about last night when my airplane was circling from Florida and I couldn't get in until late. And so I just want to share some things with you from a, perhaps for many of you, familiar story in the Bible, maybe not so familiar for others, but I believe it's certainly a spot, if you will, that's indicative of where we are in our faith or the lack thereof as a nation and as a local church community today. And so let's pray. We're going to jump right in in a moment. We'll pick up in verse number 21. I'll give you the narrative and the historical context of where we're at and then just kind of dial things back a little bit and just chit-chat and teach you some things out of the scripture. But let's pray. Father, again, we come to you in Jesus' name, that name that is above every name. And Father, I pray that you would bless us with the context of your word. May it absolutely wash over us like a mighty flood today and change our hearts. Thank you for every person that's under this tent, every person in the parking lot, every person in the overflow, every person that's watching online. Lord, I pray that you would captivate our imagination, stir our hearts for what can be if we would truly believe you in all things, Lord. Remove distractions. Protect our spirit, protect our campus. And, Father, I pray that you would gather glory unto yourself in such a way that when we walk out, our lives will be changed and we will only, only be able to say, to God be the glory. Great things you have done. Pour out your blessings and spirit upon us in this place and we will obey when we hear your voice in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people in the church said... In Mark chapter number 5, we have what happens to be one of my favorite contexts, favorite chapters in the entirety of the Bible, hands down especially in the 27 books of the New Testament. Here's why. In one chapter, not in one book, but in one chapter, Jesus proves himself to be entirely sovereign and in control over three things, over demons, over disease, and over death. And might I say that in the course of the last 2,000 years, my Bible says in Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. And I want to serve notice on you, the world, and the devil, that he is still very much in control of death, of disease, and of devils. Can I get a witness in this house? His power has not diminished one bit. We think when the ink pen of inspiration ran out in Revelation 22:21 that somehow God took a seat and he's no longer working. You better know in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And there's still going to be miracles. And there's still going to be signs. And there's still going to be wonders. And we are watching God do the inevitable yet the impossible in our very midst. And if you are missing it, it's no one's fault but your own so i hate to sound the alarm but it's time that we sound the alarm church it's time that we sound the alarm urgency is what we must be baptized with we must be immersed in a spirit of fervency and urgency no more business as usual No more just lollygagging, willy-nilly, walking into church unchanged and walking out of church unchanged. It's time that we understand that our nation is in the balance. Our churches are in the balance. Our kids are in the balance. The family is in the balance. It's time that we understand that Jesus is still in control of every situation that we will ever face any natural day in our life. He is still in control. Now, we don't have time to develop the entire narrative of the three things that Jesus did with demons, death, and disease in this one context. But I do want to talk about one of them most in particular that I believe will fit exactly where we are in our lives today. Mark chapter 5 verse 21 is where we'll pick up the story. There'll actually be a spot in this story that we'll have to skip down farther because another story is interposed. Another miracle comes in between this miracle. And so it's a, it's a double divine working of God. Verse 21, Mark 5. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, and by the way, let me say, the reason he passed over again is because when he got to a place called Gadara, Decapolis, Deca means ten. Apolis means metropolis. It was a large city of ten cities comprised into one. You remember how many miracles Jesus did when he got off the boat? One. He didn't do two. He didn't do ten. He didn't put up the gospel ten. He did one miracle. He cast legions of demons out of a man's body, and a man that was buck wild, demon-possessed, and naked put on some clothes. He sat down at the feet of Jesus. Everybody saw the miraculous change in the man's life, and you know what the city did? They said, get out of here. That was one miracle too many. Jesus showed up, he showed out, and they said, you've got to go, and do you know what Jesus did not do? He did not defend himself. He didn't try to justify the remaining days of his miracle working power and ministry. The Bible says that he walked over, he got in a rickety raft, Row, row, row your boat, he went back to the other side, and that's where we pick up in verse 21. And I'm gonna tell you why Jesus left, because Jesus never stays where Jesus isn't welcome. And the American church better figure that out. Because in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, what's he knocking on? He's not knocking on a rescue mission. He wasn't knocking on a moose lodge. He wasn't knocking on a mason hall. He was knocking on the door of a local New Testament lukewarm church that had allowed Jezebel's spirit to infiltrate it with nonsense and evil and wicked and witchcraft. And Jesus said, I'm at the door of the church, and I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. And like the old song says, I keep on knocking, but I can't come in. And it's a sad reality that Jesus has to knock on the door of his own church And I say it's time we open the door and let Jesus in So we see that Jesus is never going to stay where Jesus is not welcome and Jesus is not wanted Did you know that Europe at one time was the Zenith of revival the massive major revivals that we study and know about, the ones that I named my sons after, started in Europe, and yet today, Europe is a bastion of wicked, evil, global leftism. Do you know that? Churches are dead, colder than a mother-in-law's kiss, dries cracker juice, no power, no pizzazz, no excitement. Listen, I've preached in England, and you can't get a gnat to birth while you're preaching. Nobody moves. How can you go from people like C.H. Spurgeon? How can you go from great men of God like Jonathan Edwards and great men of God like Seth Joshua and Evan Roberts? How can you go from the zenith of revival to deadness because they began to take for granted the power of God? And because the church is the first line of defense, they began to lay down on their job and on their responsibility. And today, there is no remembrance much of all except for books and libraries about the great revivals of the past because when you get to a place where you think you can figure it out on your own, God will let you. And his presence and glory has walked away from the nation. And I fear that if we are not careful in the United States, we're going to get so comfortable with the nonsense that's being propagated in the news media that we are going to say, Jesus, you are not welcome here. And he's going to take us up on our offer. So Jesus leaves. And notice what happens, verse 21. When Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. Now, let me stop and say this. A ruler of the synagogue would have been both a political and religious dignitary. He would have been pretty well-to-do financially, but he was extraordinarily well-to-do as far as his influence in the community. If he was a ruler in the synagogue, that means he was the one that picked who got to speak and who sat down he was the one that chose the structure and the flow of the organized service in the temple this guy had a lot of skin in the game but his daughter was sick at home and she was dying and all of a sudden all of his political views and all of his religiosity went out the window because how many of you recognize the fact when your kid's sick and when your kid's hurt and when your kid's wayward and when your kid's died, you don't care what people think about you you just want to get some help for your child And this guy came bebopping into Jesus, forgetting all about his politics, forgetting all about his religion. He didn't even care anymore. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Here's a leader in the synagogue falling down at the feet of a man that has clearly called himself the Messiah. And I'm telling you, that was treason for that man to do that, but he didn't care. And might I just interject and say, you have got to get to a place where you fall at the feet of Jesus and you quit worrying about what people think about you. Stop worrying about your reputation. Stop worrying about what are people going to say? What's the news going to say? They're going to say it. They're going to say it. My granddaddy used to say, if you know something, be something, and do something, people going to talk about you. If you know nothing, do nothing, and be nothing, people going to talk about you. So either way, they're going to talk about you, so you might as well know something, do something, and be something for the kingdom's sake. Amen, church. They're going to talk either way. Let them talk. Let them walk, because the chatter doesn't matter. I said the chatter doesn't matter. So this guy said, you know what? I don't care what my buddies think. I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus. He's the only one that can help. This was a last-ditch effort, verse 23. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. Parental desperation right there. I pray thee, I urge you greatly. I'm so anxious. He said, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't function. My daughter has an affliction. And Jesus, I'm begging you with everything that I have, with every fiber of my being, to the core of my soul, would you go to my house and heal my daughter? Let me just slow things down and just say something by way of introducing the next part of the verses that we're actually here to preach on and teach about this morning. Some of you need that level of desperation for a wayward son or a wayward daughter that you have in your life because as my wife has said on many occasions, these are the days, prophetically, that the prodigals are going to come back home, that people are going to be saved, that those you never thought would get it are gonna get it, and they're gonna be baptized, and they're gonna follow the Lord, people are gonna be called to the ministry, addictions and bondages are going to be broken, sexual addiction is gonna fall by the wayside, and God's about to break through and show us that his children are coming home again. I said his children are coming home again. And we got to get desperate for our kids. We got to fast for our children. We got to pray for our families. What good will it do us if we save the whole world and let our families go to hell? It'll do us no good at all. And he said, my daughter's sick, and I beg you greatly, Jesus, come and heal her. But then notice what happens in verse 24. This is where things get a little dicey in the text. Jesus does something that he doesn't normally do. And he's Jesus, so he can do that without permission. And Jesus, watch this, went with him. Did you know 95% of the miracles Jesus performed, he didn't just walk side by side to a place with the person in need of the healing, whether it was them or their family. He would just speak the word and it would be done. But the Bible says most in particular that he went with him. And as he did, much people, not just a few, but much people followed him and thronged him. Can you imagine? All the people that were trying to get the attention of Jesus at the exact same time. Save us, Jesus. Walk on the water, Jesus. Feed multitudes with hush peppers and sardines, Jesus. Sign my Bible, Jesus. Sign my book, Jesus. Sell me a hat, Jesus. Sell me a, a sweatshirt and a T-shirt, Jesus. Everybody wanted a piece of the action. Now, we look at that and we pooch at our lips and we say, oh, look at those arrogant people. Look at those selfish people. Oh, not selfish at all. These people were hungry. These people were needy. These people were in the moment of desperation because you better know, I know he's here in spirit and in truth, but if Jesus physically walk under this tent, you'd forget all about global vision. You'd forget all about Greg You'd forget all about your kids and your spouse and the neighbor that brought you. You would be enamored to be in the very presence of the darling Son of God, yea, God himself. And these people were hungry for the presence of God. They were hungry for the presence of God. And they're clamoring about him like little baby birds, feed us, feed us, feed us. Now, what happens next in verse 25 is not what we have time to develop Because in verse 25, it says, in a certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now, we know about the woman with the issue of blood, and guess what? Her story goes from verse 25 all the way down to verse 34. Here's why that's important. Jesus is on his way to the house of a man whose daughter is going to die, and it's a time-sensitive issue. It's a time-sensitive issue. And Jesus stops... To deal with a woman that is unnamed and she's unnamed because she lost her identity in what she struggled with because the only way the Holy Spirit even identifies her is a woman with an issue, a woman with an issue, a woman with an issue, and we all have issues, but let me say in passing, don't lose yourself to your issue. So from verse 25 to verse 34, Jesus says nothing else about Jairus or his dying daughter that he is so unbelievably burdened for at the moment. He's walking with this man. A woman comes up. You know the story. For 12 years, she'd been to every doctor. She'd been to every priest. She'd been to every lawyer. She'd been everywhere that she could. She was broke as a joke. She could sit on a diamond, dangle both legs. She had nothing left, and she was none the better, but rather she grew worse. And Jesus stopped to heal her. On his way to heal someone else now can I say just for a moment that if you and I let's be honest would have been Jarius we would have been freaking out I would have been personally tore up from the floor up my daughter is dying Jesus is hand-in-hand hand walking with me it's a time-sensitive time-stamped issue something's got to be done not tomorrow but right now and Jesus stops in the middle of someone's apparent emergency to help somebody else and if i'd have been jerius let's be honest, i'd have been like come on jesus we got to go my clock is ticking down she's gonna die the doctors are calling we got to get there right now johnny on the spot you ain't got time to help this woman you ain't got time to stop come back and help this chick come back and do something with these people. you got to go j Je- you got to go and we'd have been trying to usher up and hurry up jesus would we not i know we would have you can't imagine the level of anxiety this man must have been going through but here's something that you have to understand before we skip down and find jarius again god is so big god is so powerful god is so anointingly supernatural that on his way to bless your life he's a big enough god to stop off and bless somebody else's life and doesn't have to ask your permission one bit He's big enough for all of us. Listen, what if we pray for revival, but God decides to stop down the road and give it to them folks? We better still rejoice. We're not in competition. We're in gospel cooperation. And you better know that God's big enough to stop during your miracle and give somebody else their miracle. That's what makes him God. We're bound by time. Jesus is not bound by time. He's the eternal, timeless one. And he's big enough to bless all of us at the same time. Hear us all at the same time. Answer us all at the same time. That's what makes him God. And so he stops for a little while from verses 25 all the way down to verse 34. And then we pick back up with anxious Jairus, and it gets bad, verse 35. While he yet spake. This is while Jesus is telling this woman, your faith has made you whole. While he yet spake there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house now where were they going to the ruler's house to heal the daughter that was dying in the bed and here's what the ruler said thy daughter is dead why troublest thou the master any further man that's pretty plain isn't it that's like disabling plain that is disparagingly plain and correct in the text this guy knows it's about to happen. His heart is about to beat out of his chest. It seems like it, his emotions are up in his throat. and He can't stop from weeping and crying. My daughter's going to die. My daughter's going to die. And you've stopped off to help this woman. Come on, Jesus. you got to hurry up. Usher him in, guys. Usher him in. you got to hurry up. you got to hurry up. You better know God doesn't work on your time. God don't get in a hurry because he doesn't have to. And you know what God will do in your life and in mine? The same thing he did in this guy's life. Sometimes he'll let stuff die. Did you hear me? Sometimes he'll let stuff die so that at the end of the day when he resurrects it, when he brings that dream back to life and that vision back to life and that person back to life and he performs that miracle and he restores that marriage and he brings that prodigal home and that person puts down the pills and puts down the dope and puts down the crack pipe and God restores their life. He sometimes lets stuff die so he's the only one that can resurrect it at the end of the day. So sometimes God will just let stuff die in your life so he can step out onto the rickety raft of your life, say, peace be still, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, the Bible says. He let this girl die. And it didn't take him by surprise one bit, but it took the daddy by surprise. Why troublest thou the master? He said, quit quit bothering him. He doesn't even need to take the journey. The girl's dead, be done with it. Watch this, please, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken from this ruler, from this servant of Jairus, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Now, wait just a moment. That's a hard, tall order right there. He just got the text message that his beloved daughter is dead in bed. Jesus was on his way to heal her. Didn't make it in time because he stopped off to heal somebody else. And he just gets the message. The glaringly disparaging Death-filled message. Your daughter didn't make it. She's dead. Do not bother Jesus anymore. He's a busy man. Let him go on his journey today. And Jesus, when he heard that, looked at Jairus, not the rest of them. He looked at this man who just lost the darling apple of his eye, and eyeball to eyeball, he said, let me give you a word. He said, be not afraid, comma, only believe, Now, let me share something with you that seems so obvious you would think our culture gets it, but the church doesn't. And because the church doesn't get it, the culture has gone buckwild and they don't get it. When he says, be not afraid, comma, only believe, that gives us two polarities in one verse. Meaning by that, there are two opposites that have nothing to do with each other. Faith and fear. They do not coexist they do not reside on the same platform and in the context of the same package. He said it is either one or the other. It is not both and the same at the same time. He said, be not afraid, only believe. Which means if you believe, you're not going to be filled with fear. But if you're filled with fear, that's the reason that you don't believe. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? We got to keep the ball bouncing down the court. We got to understand, Jesus does not give you the opportunity to live in fear. He gives you the privilege to live by faith he said be not afraid be not afraid of what in this context the fact that his daughter was dead it looked helpless and hopeless but when hopes all gone helps on the way you understand right him help is in the form of Jesus Christ People ask me all the time, well, you know, you do all these political rallies and you're a pastor, so what are you going to preach on when you go to these big political rallies? The same thing I preach on every time I grab a microphone. Jesus, 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 he's the sweetest name I know. He's the help. He's the hope. I'm only looking for one person to save this nation, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, I'm not just trying to save America. I'm trying to save Americans because when you get Americans saved, you will save the nation. You will save the nation. So you cannot, according to the red letter lips of Jesus' words in the Bible, you cannot have faith and fear at the same time. You cannot. Now, you can argue with me, but you can't argue with Jesus. So I want you to be very careful about all these willy-nilly, self-proclaimed Facebook theologians that say things like this. Well, the Bible says to love your neighbor. Yeah, and the Bible also said speak the truth in love, and if you love your neighbor, you'll tell your neighbor the truth, not get them to submit to nonsense. And fear-filled governmental tactics, you understand. I'm not getting no politics, I just need to say, it because it's in the it's it's in the text. And the text says, do not be afraid. And the opposite of not being afraid is only, only, say only. only. That is what he's that's the command. It's not an option. Only believe. So you can't have it both ways. So let's just pull this thing down, rewind. And remind ourselves of something that has to be said. It must be encouraged under this tent and online, and really it must be propagated around the world. And that is this there's no two ways around what I'm about to say. So if it chaps your hide, take it up with him, not me. I'm, I'm just the mailman putting it in the box. I didn't write the letter, so don't get mad at the person that puts it in the box. Get mad at the person that wrote the letter if you want to, right? I'm just putting it in the box. Here's what this phrase tells me you have an option to believe, man or to believe God. But you never get the option of believing both at the same time, ever, ever. Did you know the middle verse of the Bible is Psalm 118 and verse 8, where the Bible says, (laughs) interestingly enough, the middle verse is really the theme of the whole Bible. It is better to put trust in the Lord than confidence in man. So when the Bible says, be not afraid, only believe, that means, look, if you're struggling with cancer, be not afraid, only believe. You got divorce papers in the mail? Be not afraid, only believe. You feel like you got a file bankruptcy? Be not afraid, only believe. Your boss said they're going to fire you if you don't get the vaccine? Be not afraid, only believe. Because when God closes one door, he'll open another door, and if you will obey him, the favor always follows the obedient. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Somebody says, Preacher, how in the world do you operate under all that pressure of all them death threats? Be not afraid. Only believe. That's how I do it. Their words do not scare me, but the words of God motivate me to righteousness. And they can never say anything in my life that will be bigger than or trump what the Word of God says in my life. Ever. Be not afraid. Only believe. You say, well, with the luck, you don't know what I'm facing. This guy's daughter just died. It's probably not that bad. It may be, but it's doubtful. Somebody's always got it worse. We can grinch and complain and get all mad and get all upset and blame God for all kind of things that he has nothing to do with. But at the end of the day, you either believe what man told you or you believe what God told you. Did you know that you cannot believe the news and the Bible? You just can't. My granddaddy used to say, every morning i get up, When I drink my coffee, I read the Bible and the newspaper to see what both sides are doing. (laughs) Right? To see what both sides, there's two sides. The right one and the wrong one. You cannot believe what you see, hear, and read in the mainstream media and still believe what the Bible teaches. You cannot. They are diametrically opposed. They are dueling polarities. They are north and south. There is no way that you can ever rectify and bring together and reconcile the two. It is faith or it is fear. It is never both. And 2 Timothy says God's not given us the spirit of fear. So if God's not giving us the spirit of fear, it must be coming from somewhere else. And by the way, he doesn't just call it an atmosphere of fear. He calls it a spirit of fear because there's a spirit of bondage in this nation that is causing people to make decisions that they would not normally make and act out in ways that they would not normally act out because they're afraid. So we are not living in reaction. We are living in gospel action because Jesus said, if the bubonic plague shows up and everybody drops dead, be not afraid. Only believe. (laughs) Only believe. So individually, that works one way. Collectively in a church, in a faith fellowship, it works like this. We are either a house of healing, faith, and miracles, or we're not. no two ways around that it's a one-way street one way only that one way is what the Bible says what the Holy Ghost says and what Jesus Christ said I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me you don't get to have it both ways the American church wants the best of both worlds we want to talk about faith but live in fear absolutely not not on my watch I'm not going to pump you full of faith and then give you a free pass when you live full of fear. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a good shepherd and a shepherd warns people about nonsense. And what you're seeing and what you're hearing is nonsense. You know. I got to be careful how I—I'm I, not going to give things away. It's like I, this much I can tell about what I'm going to say. We got back from youth camp a couple days ago. I, I might get a little emotional about what I'm about to say, but that's all good. I got to be very calculated in the information that I give out for the next few moments. <clears throat> and I ain't even hungry, so just sit around for a minute. We had to leave youth camp a night early, and uh, my daughter and and Jesse filled in and spoke. By the way, give Jesse and his wife a hand. They did such a good job with youth camp. Oh, my goodness, they did such a good job with youth camp. I mean, our kids came back lit on fire, man. You guys, man, God bless you. They did so good. So we drove all night long in the RV to get back, and then I I had a little bit of time in the office, and then I, I got on a plane, and I flew back out. And I went out of state. I just got back late last night. My wife will attest. We were circling the airport trying to get back in. So as soon as I got in, I did a little bit of counseling and a few things in the office and caught up on some stuff, and then I I flew right back out. Now, here's the part that I can tell you, and here's why I'm telling you this this is important about faith over fear. (laughs) I got to my hotel about 3 o'clock in the morning, and the place that I was going, I wasn't there to speak. I was there by personal invitation. And they said, we need you in the, in the office, in the, in, the, in the lobby, the little Starbucks area of the hotel, by 7.30. So I figured then that, that's where we're going to meet and we're going to have a little, you know, on-site meeting. I got like two or three hours of sleep. I got up, went downstairs. There was about 42 of us from all over the country, special invitation only, 42 people. You, did not, you were not allowed to know who was going to be there before you got there. That's part of the rules. So I got there and they said, oh, now we're getting on a bus. Excuse me? So we got on a bus surrounded by sheriffs and security people. I was the latest person to get to the hotel and two sheriff's deputies met me at the hotel that was booked only for the 42 people that were allowed to be at this meeting. May God strike me dead if I exaggerate and exacerbate the truth. They put us on a bus, took us about 18 miles down the road to an old warehouse, an abandoned looking warehouse, like a crap fest feed barn is what it looked like, in the middle of a rundown neighborhood. We get off the bus, there's security lined up to the door at a barn. We walked in, Whoo. It was far from a barn. It had everything technologically you could imagine. Y'all listen to me? Walked upstairs. They gave me a number. Said, surrender your phone. Every one of us surrendered our phones in a bag. Took a number. Showed personal ID. We were invited. Showed personal ID. Walked through... Security gates. The room filled to overflowing with security people that were vetted to be in the room. 42 of us. 42 of us. For two days. Two days. I had to rearrange meetings and everything. I was supposed to be in Louisville last night. I'll be in Louisville tonight preaching a big outdoor event. I had to rearrange the whole thing. They said, if you cannot come and commit to the whole thing, don't even bother showing up. Can't even tell you who invited me. And no, it wasn't Trump. It may have been bigger than that. And I walked in. As a 45-year-old hillbilly redneck pastor of this church in a tent. And I said amongst some of the most informed elite on the planet, some of the greatest patriots on the planet, (laughs) as they fed us information from every walk of life, every background. And here's what they recognize. Religious freedom is the number one issue that we are facing right now in the United States. Religious freedom. I kept reaching for my phone. I'm like, what, what, I ain't, in, I ain't in here, you know, having that anxiety with that iPhone deal, you know? All day long on Friday. Nearly all day long on Saturday. I've been to a lot of meetings in my life. I've never been to one where I had to sign a non disclosure agreement before I walked in the door. Are y'all listening to me? I know them idiots are, huh? Bunch of right-wing watch nonsense, Newsweek. Bring it on, Chris Cuomo. I can't wait till our live debate this week. You dirty, rotten, stinking coward. I can't wait to tell CNN what I think about his murderous brother. Tell me we're killing people because we don't wear a mask. Andrew Cuomo killed all kind of old people in nursing homes and don't nobody on the left want to say one thing about it. Think I'm going to back down. Think I'm going to apologize. Bunch of demons. Now, let me tell you what that meeting did for me. That right there. You know why? I've been right about all of it. We've been right about all of it. Yes! Yes! These wicked fools don't win in the end. They don't win in the end. So all this fear bullcrap is that. It is bullcrap. Say amen. I know you've never been to a church where a pastor told you to say amen after I said bull crap. It's better than what I want to say. I call it real BS, biblical stupidity. Biblical stupidity. So I know I wasn't going to say nothing about it, but I think I feel froggy enough, I'm going to jump right now and just say this. I am not apologizing for what I said on this platform last week. The Delta variant was nonsense then, it is nonsense now. You will not wear masks in this church. You will not wear masks in this church. I'm telling you right now, do not get vaccinated. Do not get vaccinated. I don't care what you think about me. I don't need your money. I don't need your hand clap. I don't need more people on social media to follow me. I ain't following along with it. Joe Biden's days are numbered. I said they're numbered I've told you the whole time this election was fraudulent We got so much proof the only people that can deny it are crack-smoking demon-possessed leftists I'm about to tear this whole pulpit in half We were right Y'all better sit down Now I'm hungry I don't ever pause for a drink, but I need one. I feel like I ain't slept in a month. That's all right. We're going to go to Louisville and do it all again tonight. It won't take them 20 minutes to have that up. Somebody told me the other day, you're a media whore. Better than being the devil's whore. Better than being Kamala Harris's whore. By the way, the word whore is a King James word. Don't get too nervous. My wife's about to pass out in the sawdust, praise God. I ain't playing her stupid games no more. You picked the wrong one, Jack. I didn't beg you to come to church. You showed up because you wanted to. We might need our security team and the Proud Boys to show up every weekend with the crazy stuff we're about to go into. Yeah. We let them all show up. Yeah. Starting a January 6th insurrection commission. So when they finally get back to Congress, you know, because they take a whole month off because we pay the salaries of them wicked people. They sit around with their toes in the sand without a mask and get all mad at us and we show up at church that one, right? When they come back in September, they got, the, they got this council which they're gonna try to prosecute everybody that had something to do with the insurrection. What? Have you lost your mind? I think they have forgotten the theology of redneckism in America. If we wanted an insurrection, you wouldn't be able to stop us if we had one. That was not an insurrection. That was not an insurrection. That was a peaceful protest. The only people that were insurrecting was Nancy Pelosi telling the Capitol Police to stand down and freely letting people come up in the Capitol building. That was the insurrection. What they ought to do is arrest her for the rest of her life. Try that wicked Jezebel for treason. Wash your hands, wash your hands. I'm so sick of Fauci. Man, I told you I was going to be good today. Just get it out during the announcements. But man, I'm telling you right now, I'm so lit up I could preach till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and people flip-flopping. Can't make up their mind. Now they're saying, well, you know, <laughs> we, we were wrong about the vaccine. You know, we, we were wrong. You think? We've been telling you you were wrong the whole time. But who oh, no, know? We're the QAnon 10-4-Hot conspiracy theorists. Yeah. You give it about two more years, we'll find out who the conspiracy theorists are. You better get in the ark. You better get in the ark. The rain's coming. I said the rain's coming. You better get in the ark. Anyhow, all that from five words, be not afraid, only believe. <laughs> we should have started there. We'd save ourselves 28 minutes. Amen. Look, I'm just not for sale. And I don't want you guys to be for sale. I'm just not. We got people moving here from all over the country to be a part of a church that's just not going to bend. We're just not. I'm not trying to be overly bold just so I can be belligerent. But I'm not going to be underly bold just so I can be like a wuss. Right? Right? So I don't know. I'm just I'm just rambling right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna finish out the text, maybe. I don't know. We'll pick it up next week or pick it up Wednesday. Or I'll preach on it Tuesday when Tennessee stands is here. I don't know. I ain't got an outline. I'm just flowing with it. You know my outline is be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I know I might lose a few people on this or at least online, but maybe not. If you stuck with me this far, you're good. This verse, you remember the, the Bible that we showed you with this phrase was taken out of the Bible type of deal a few weeks ago, the, the miracle thing from North Carolina? That story and this text has impacted me so much. That doesn't matter to me where you are on the whole t- tattoo issue. I don't, I don't care, I didn't ask. I have be not afraid, only believe right here on my shoulder. Right Right here. Because I want to be reminded every single day when I look in the mirror to comb my hair, brush my teeth, shave my face. I want to be reminded this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of what they tell me on the news. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says amen, not oh me. The Bible gives me no room for doubt, gives me no room for a judgment call of being filled with fear. It just doesn't. So let me just read the rest of the passage, and we're going to have to quit. Whew. I'm sorry for our our phone answerers. Sorry, Kiki. Sorry for the people that have to answer the emails, because I got a feeling that last week was, like, bad this week's gonna be like deplorable <laughs> the news said uh, we would like to give you a chance to clarify what you said I said it's pretty clear I got two big old signs out here in the parking lot that just tell you how clear it really oh, oh so, so so you're not apologetic I said you're used to pastors being that way you know, you're used to backing these Joel Osteens in a corner and getting to the porky pig syndrome, and they're like, well, <laughs> that's not really what I meant. No, it's what I meant. Everything I said today, I meant. Even them crazy words that made my wife go, man them. Man them all. Just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. So look, I get it. I told the staff the other day, things are about to get so crazy, I would not blame you if you bailed right now before it got nuts. So it's cool. I'm just, I'm just letting you know right now. They're not going to give up. It's about to get worse. It's going to get better, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. A lot, 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 lot worse before it gets any better, 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 better. So I'm just letting y'all know right now. I love you enough to give you a free pass. If you decide to be like, whoa, we ain't never going back there again. Hey, I, I won't even blame you. I won't do a video about you. I won't criticize you. I get it because we are hot topics around here. But for the rest of us, Let's stick it out, amen? Let's just stick it out. Let's just stick it out and watch what God's going to do in this place. That big old tent up on the hill ain't going to be enough room for all the people that God sends us to minister to and to preach the gospel to. We're going to have them lined up for a mile to be baptized. So as I read the text, just to be clear, when I need to apologize, I will. But thus far, I've not said anything to apologize for And he suffered no man to know it, <laughs> to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So he said, look, it's going to be all good. He cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult. So all this confusion going on. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, so these people are just going, they're cussing, screaming, crying, throwing dirt in the air. They're brokenhearted. He saith unto them. Now this is, this is classic Jesus right here, verse 39. Why make ye this ado? That means why you make this big fuss and weep. The damsel is not dead, but what sleepeth. Now, wait just a minute. She was dead. But God don't see things the way you see things. God has a way of fixing what you think is a problem that can never be fixed. He said, why are you people fussing? She's not dead. She's asleep. Clearly she was dead. But Jesus was making the analogy that what we see in the natural is not what he produces in the supernatural. That's the whole message there. They laughed him to scorn. By the way, they're still doing that. By the way, that's why I don't mind hitting back and poking back. They laugh at Jesus, I'll laugh at them. Because in the end of the day, Psalm 2 says God's going to get the last laugh. He going to get the last laugh. They laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, I love that, he put them all out. You know why? Because God will never do a miracle for a skeptic. He put them all out on the porch. He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and then that were with him and he entereth in where the damsel was lying and he took the damsel by the hand and he said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Man, that must have been a wild moment right there. And straightway, that means immediately, the damsel arose and walked for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat." So I know we got caught up on be not afraid, only believe purposefully and end up going a little bit of a different direction, but that's cool. Because here's what I'm convinced, that kind of preaching, that kind of ranting, that kind of confirmation, do you know what it does to the people in this tent and the people watching online, the right people that are watching online? It emboldens them. emboldens them. Every week I hear about parents that get so emboldened, they go to their school board and say, heck no to these masks on our kids all day long in our public schools. Every week I get letters from pastors that decided to open their church no matter what their deacon board told them. Every week I hear about people. Every week we got people that come to this church. Every month we have four or five or six, sometimes seven families that sell everything they have and move to this church just to be a part of a remnant fellowship that's doing something in these days. Listen, like I said at the beginning, so I say now. I don't mean to sound the alarm, but it's time to sound the alarm. Speak now or forever hold your peace. We ain't got another year to mess around. We ain't got another five years to mess around. We ain't got another decade to mess around. If we want to see revival, we got to get God to get stirred up right this very minute. Right this very second. Behold, now is the day of redemption. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of revival. Today is the day of the fire of the Holy Spirit. Today is the day of the awakening of God and church. It's time that we stand, having done all to stand, putting on the whole armor of God, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds time to stand. It's time to speak. It's time to fight. We live by it. We die by it. If you love Jesus, shout for him in this place.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's message from God's word. This podcast is a ministry of the Global Vision Bible Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. To find out how you can partner with this ministry or plan your visit to the Revival Tent, visit us online at globalvisionbc.com. There you can find links to all of the social medias. You can see what's happening on campus and learn everything you need to know about GVBC. We can't wait to see you there.